Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. We are the active voice of Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Our signature is sharing stories of vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. Visit womenover70.com to make a donation, discover our books for women section, and learn more about the Women Over 70 community. Invite us to conduct workshops or speak to your organization. We share clips from our podcast and offer strategies that enrich women's lives as they age. And today we're delighted to welcome Karen Bennett to our podcast. And who better to introduce Karen, age 77, from Baltimore, Maryland, than her niece, Kate, who wrote to us, I quote, my Aunt Karen is a tough-as-nails nurse who worked at Rikers Island Prison and in retirement followed her creative interests in writing, end quote. Well, Karen has always had a passion for creative pursuits, from orchestra musician, the cello, to portrait artist. She entered adulthood in the 1960s among beatniks and starving artists. She became a wife and then mother to three terrifically artistic kids. Later, divorced and with art studies behind her, Karen studied and became a nurse practitioner in correctional settings. Her profession involved traveling to Russia, South Africa, and Vietnam. Karen's life adventures and misadventures became the stuff of her fictionalized writing, which she has pursued in earnest since retiring 10 years ago. She's a prolific and award-winning author, still navigating the rough currents of publishing. And thanks to Kate Manahan, niece of previous guests, Nancy Manahan, episode 118, and Pat Manahan Anderson, episode 120, and friend of Carolyn Torkelson, episode 7. And that, listeners, is the power of women's networks. So welcome, Karen Bennett, to Women Over 70. Why, thank you for welcoming me. I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you. So Karen, um, you started out in art school in New York City. And then what happened to, um, to change your life course? I, I attended a very small art school in Manhattan. It was on the corner of 3rd Avenue and something like 32nd Street, and it wasn't a campus with grass. It was just a city, a corner of a city. And um, so what started me falling back from, I guess this is backwards speech, falling backward from art was that I really couldn't afford it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Many of the students that went to that school still lived at home with their parents. Uh, the year before they had taken the subway to high school and after joining art school, they just took the subway to art school. Mm-hmm. So they lived at home. And I was living in a girl's residence, uh, a dormitory of sorts in the city, which was great fun. But when I had an assignment, you know, bring in buttons tomorrow or bring in magazines so that we can or bring in 20 pages of advertisements for magazines, I didn't have that option. And uh, the school, therefore, was difficult for me um, in terms of being being part of the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was just I didn't have the money for it and I didn't have the I wasn't living where I could access the sorts of things that other people were asked to do. So I quit that job and got a starting job at Saks Fifth Avenue in New York City, where, hold your hats, I sold umbrellas. (laughs) (laughs) I have written about that, but it's not published anywhere. It's just some, it's funny thinking about what to, 
what is worthy of writing down and what isn't worthy of writing down. But I can tell you when it rained, we were a very, very, very busy because many of the ladies were coming downstairs from having their hair done and they needed an umbrella. <laughs> and when it wasn't raining, there was virtually nothing to do, you know, except straighten the umbrella. So um, from, from there, I went on to, oh gosh, I, I went on to other things. Obviously, I'm I I blame my I blame myself for being German, and that we we're never allowed to not be doing at least two things. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so you uh, what in the introduction I mentioned that you you had told me that you entered adulthood in this 1960s among the beatniks and the starving artists, and then became a wife. And so, tell us a little bit about that journey or that trajectory there. All right. On the summer after my first year of art school, I was working in Atlantic City, uh, New Jersey, on the boardwalk. And uh, people kept saying, the people, uh, well, let me get back to who the people are. I decided to, tr to give, my, give a try to being a portrait artist. And some of the portrait artistry was, as many people have pictures on their stairs landings, pictures of profiles of the kid every year from, you know, age seven to 14 or 15 or something like that. I did that job sometimes in pastel, but generally in uh, charcoal. And uh, they were saying the other people from the art shop on the boardwalk said, well, Bennett is coming, Bennett is coming. And I was pretty interested mm -hmm. to see who Bennett was. And it turned out to be a tall, older than I am by 17 mm -hmm. years, man who was a germanic guy with blonde hair and blue eyes and he could dance and he could sing and he graduated from syracuse with honors and good grief i i i was knocked out by this by this person um but he too was somewhat on the poverty side because he was a truly practicing artist and he lived in new york city where you may or may not know i even forget the proper term for it but new york city has an outdoor art show filling up the streets of southern uh, manhattan um golly I, it would be good if i could remember the name of that uh, art show but real artists pro produce their artwork out on displays and made their money that way and made contacts that way and so as it turned out i lived in new york city only 19 blocks south of um bennett who's turned out who was charles bennett he had a first name and um, we dated for about three years and then married. And I'm happy to say uh, after a, the three-year plan with both of us going to night school, um, I then had three kids, mm -hmm. uh, one at a time, as is, pardon me? You had three children in three years? No, but three years after our marriage, I started having children. Oh, I, I see. Okay. I had a daughter and then two years later, I had a son. And then two years later, I had a son. Okay. So, um, and then you divorced at some point and you, you switched gears, you became, you studied to become a nurse practitioner. And, and how did you even know to pursue that path? Well, I was uh, a healthy woman and had never been to the hospital and always busy with art. So it came as a gigantic surprise to me that I ever gave that an, as an option I had had my first baby, my first time in the hospital, and along came this woman early morning after the baby was born, and she came in with, I think, lifeguard soap, and she looked beautiful, and she had lipstick, and she had large hands, and she moved around 
moved me around the bed and washed me. And she was just wonderful to me. And I thought, geez, I could do this job. This is something <laughs> I could do. Because really, um, outside of art, I never thought about another option. <laughs> and so that was the first time uh, I gave it a thought. And by chance, it was a time when nursing was very low on on um, bodies. So they were encouraging married women to come back, moms whose kids had started school, come on back, take the test, you know, we'll get you ready to be a nurse. So that's exactly what I did. And in doing that, it proved that my my marriage couldn't support that. My husband stayed away on purpose in the evenings to make me either late for school or that I wouldn't go or that one thing or another because he did not want me to to further myself. So that was the beginning of me being a divorced woman. I see. And so Karen, how is it that you you uh, did your, your, your nursing in correctional settings? It was an option as a as in um, a job. You know, I don't know how we all found out about jobs, but somehow I heard about nursing in jail and prison. And I have to say, I went to school with mostly cute young girls who wanted to go to the hospital and meet cute young doctors. And believe me, I had no interest in that whatsoever. So when I learned about jail and prison needing nurse, nurses, I jumped on that. It was not an easy thing because Rikers Island, where was my first job, is uh, has a reputation. And if I could see you now, most people, when I say Rikers Island, their eyebrows go up and they say, oh, you know, because it's, it's the real thing. <laughs> and it's the jail for all of the New York City boroughs. And after they've been sentenced, then they go to their own borough for to serve their term or, or maybe up upstate to um, oh. bigger prisons. So that was the beginning. But because I was an older person and not a cute young thing, it was very easy for me to handle the men. Um, it was a, a respectful relationship and it was comical and it was friendly. And it was a job I would never do without it if I had to do it all over again. That was a really wonderful job and it was worth going to work because if I didn't do it, nobody else was going to do it. Mm -hmm. So let's talk. So all of this has been fodder for your writing. And uh, I know that's what you're really fully engaged in now or have been for quite some time. But um, talk, talk, tell us about your writing and your uh, accomplishments and what it's been like for you as a writer? Uh, I should in, I should mention that I remarried when I was 56 or four, something like that. And my husband and I lived on an airport. He was crazy about having a plane. So I bought a house on an airport and uh, I had a job then as a nurse practitioner. And I came home every day to walk my dog. And the days I was off duty, I walked my dog around the airport. And he thought, you know, I should write a book about prison. But why would I write about men's prison? Because those are the, all of the movies we watched when we were a kid was, um, uh, oh, gosh, I can't think of his name. And that tells you I'm really an old woman. <laughs> well, all of the old prison movies all start. James Cagney, there it is. We've all seen James Cagney movies, but I had the inside track on women's prison. So I thought I would write the story about that. And going to work each day was a mini series in itself. Mm -hmm. I had an aunt who said to me, 
you ought to keep notes because it's a very interesting thing. And I did start keeping notes. But the thing about prison work is after a few days, the extraordinary becomes the expected and the ordinary. So after a while, I stopped taking notes, but I met fascinating fiction, fodder for fiction, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. So then it sort of became a mission to to tell the stories that I saw in prison um, that I couldn't, that no one else knows about. Uh, when the book Orange is the New Black came out, I thought, oh boy, hecky dern, somebody else beat me to a good prison book. And I watched it and I thought, this has nothing to do with the prison life I saw. There's mm -hmm. kindness in prison. There's there's helping in prison. There are people who need to be in prison because they just can't hack it when they're not in prison. And they do mm -hmm. a lot, you know, they get, a, they get released and then they put the brick through the window to get right back in again. And they may have jobs in prison and they have camaraderie, of course, in prison. And they don't have to pay rent and they don't have anybody hounding them about the rent. So it's a place to be. And I respect that. Um, I respect that. So it's just the, the, the book that I wrote at that time. I started going to Maryland Writers Association and they have an annual fiction contest and nonfiction and poetry and on and on. And in the year 2006, after writing only that one book, I um, figured, I didn't consider myself a writer yet. I just considered myself someone who worked in prison and saw a lot of fascinating stories. Mm -hmm. So I wrote it down and I tried to make it scholarly. And then by golly, I won first place in Maryland in fiction that year. And, and the, the benefit of that was I was given the award not by a girlfriend or a relative i was given an award by a panel of people that didn't know me mm -hmm. so then i started i thought about it and thought well maybe i could write something else and therein lies the story i continued writing and the things that interested me and the things in which i thought i had some background uh we're singing in choirs. I did that a lot. So I wrote a, a book about that that is not published. Um, and I loved horses. So and I knew a bit about that from when I used to be a horse on the playground when I was about in third grade. <laughs> and then um, I loved ballet and got on the inside track with that. When I lived in New York City, I lived in a dormitory with a slew of girls who were in the New York City Ballet Company School. Mm. And so I wrote about that. And uh, let's see. Oh, and I wrote about some of the travel I did, not as a travel book. And this book I self-published. It was the first thing I tried. It was the one in which I felt I had the least to lose because there's not a great deal of angst. The story, in short, mm -hmm. a woman our age has her four-digit uh, PIN number that she suddenly sees coming up over and over and over again on, on bills and just so on. Then the number just keeps coming up and she figures, oh my gosh, that's a date that's coming up. I'd better do something because the only thing left to do is die, really. So she went off on, she did what actually, I have to confess, she did what I did. <laughs> she went to the places, doggone it, the same place as I went. Uh, I have to agree with her observations, however. <laughs> so that was rather a fun book to write. And um, 
So that is self-published, and that book is titled The Farewell Tour. And mm. um, I've had it because it was self-published. I took it down about three times because whoever did the publishing, uh, I mean, who did the printing and everything on the interior of the book, it looked terrible. So I took it down and took it down and finally had a person that I trusted. The woman who did the interior of my published book, which is called Beautiful Horse Flesh, that's my horse book. She did the interior of the self-published book. So now I'm actually proud of it. So, oh, so I've, um, everything I can think of, I've written about everything, including working as an umbrella sales lady. The travel that you that um, Catherine mentioned, uh, having to do with your profession to to South Africa and Vietnam and Russia, did that happen while you were a nurse? And did did you write about all of that? Yes, I did. It happened while I was a nurse practitioner toward the end of my professional career. There was a, a group, and I've looked them up recently, and I can't find that they're still a, a working group, but they basically were a travel agency who would, for instance, if we were all veterinarians, they would say, well, let's let's have a trip that you can take off on, you know, use it for um, um, required educational credits. I forget what that's called. I guess that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. And they take you to veterinarians in various places. I could have gone to China. I could have gone to many, many places. But um, a girl's got to pay for a trip. And I and it takes a couple weeks to do that kind of travel. So I settled for the three places that you have just mentioned. And because I wasn't a veterinarian, I went with a group of um, nurse practitioners and uh, doctors and uh, nurses. Uh, the group that ran this this uh, particular travel group said it was the only group they did not enjoy taking were lawyers. <laughs> oh. But we went to hospitals and we went to and in as it turns out Russia has um has free medicine and uh, as did Vietnam of course it's not like that everywhere everywhere but those are the hospitals that we went to see. And it was very, I teasingly say educational all the time just for a joke, but I guess I should shape up at this moment. <laughs> it was very educational mm -hmm. and um, it was a great deal. Well, in those days, people still carried cameras. You remember cameras. <laughs> and it was a very, every every picture was a, looked like a um, magazine cover, you know, with some of the places are so very picturesque. I had a wonderful time. I met up with one girl twice, one woman, excuse me. We met on our trip to Vietnam, and from there we went to St. Uh, Russia, St. Petersburg. Actually, we met in St. Petersburg. I have it backwards, but it doesn't matter. So she and I were roommates for two two uh, trips, and when I went to South Africa, I went without her. But oh, it really was nice, and I have little... I have books that are filled up with my writing on those times, but I, I don't know whatever's going to happen with those books. I guess they'll get thrown out. Oh, dear. So, so Karen, you, you've, you're prolific in your writing. And so you're, what do you want to accomplish now? What's, what's most important to you to, to do now well, at this phase in your life? I'm aware at age 77, I'm on the moving sidewalk. So I'm a little more frantic than I used to be. Um, I spent money on a publicist after I published my first book because I figured I'm too young, too old to be discovered. So mm -hmm. I'd better 
you know, have somebody help me with that. I'm very interested in getting my books. Um, what I have left to, to publish is the um, ballet book, which is about a young girl getting kidnapped uh, because in, in Washington, D.C., they have something called the lug rides where civilians, instead of going to the bus stop or the train, they wait at another, you know, in a parking lot and someone comes along who has to commute to the city and they say, I have room in my SUV for four people. And then I'm going to the some, some address in, in Washington, D.C. And then people pile in and they don't have to pay. And the driver gets to go on the high occupancy lane and everybody has to work faster and there's no charge. So I that sounded to me like a, an example of um, let's kidnap somebody. And so I wrote a book about that. And it's really a great fun book because I know a lot about ballet. And I it was very easy to uh, write the man who's the kidnapper. So uh, when you work in prison, you get to meet mm -hmm. fictional types. <laughs> yes. yes. So my plan is to get this, you know, into books. And um, I, I can't do I can't work any faster at it than I am. I, I'm just um, I'm on a treadmill and I hope it's not a treadmill. But I mean, I'm moving all the time in that direction. trying mm -hmm. by. Well, I wish you all the best with that. I, and what else are you involved in these days? Well, I have recently moved to a one-story house, which is, I've been here a year and a half. And uh, I just didn't want to be the old lady who fell down steps and then had other people making decisions for that woman. Mm -hmm. So I moved mm -hmm. into something while I was still hale and hearty enough to do that. And I have uh, been working you know how you make your house your own with paint and, you know, you fix this toilet seat or this or that all over the house. You have work to be done. So I've been doing that for the last year. And in the last year, uh, I I joined a group of um, cronies. We go to um, trivia one night a week. And I have to say that last week at trivia, we are against many people who are much younger than we. And... Um, Lucille Ball was the answer that everybody at our table knew and the other tables didn't know. Oh. <laughs> so it paid off this once. <laughs> it pays off. But the so, other thing I do every morning, I get up on Monday through Friday and I go to the pool and I swim uh, a mile. It's roughly a mile and it's exactly an hour. So I don't remember mm. if it's a piece more than a mile or a piece under mm -hmm. a mile. I think it's mm -hmm. about about equal. I do that every day. And because I love it, it's not for exercise. People tell me what good exercise it is. And I just think, you know, it's just the best darn part of my day. And I also do my prayers while I'm in the pool. So I have an hour to get everybody covered. <laughs> <laughs> always, always doing more than one thing at a time. That's right. That's right. And you know why? It's because I'm a German girl. <laughs> so. <laughs> so Karen, in, in the last few minutes, do you... Um, is there anything that you would would want to tell your younger self? I have to tell you, I've been the kind of person that has always put one foot in front of the other and just gotten through the day. Uh, I never thought I'd be anything but an artist. Uh, I never thought I'd be an old woman. It comes as a great surprise to me. I have no advice. I Luckily, I haven't died yet, which is why I'm 77. And I see how how hmm, frail humanity is, and we just have no guarantees. When I was about four, I guess, or five, a neighbor came to my mother's door, and I guess to tell her that someone had died, 
And their words were, my goodness, you never know, you could be buried in three days. Well, that hit me like a bolt of lightning because I was a little kid. But I have to tell you, that has really colored my entire life. Um, I off, I heard the expression, you know, someone said, oh, you don't buy green bananas, huh? And I thought, well, no, I really don't. <laughs> because I, I really, I have no future sense whatsoever. I keep arriving in the future, much to my own surprise. That may not be intellectual, but it's just exactly the fact. I just take things as they come and I make decisions as they're necessary. And I've done a lot of that. And I have to say, looking back, um, I'm pretty happy with where mm -hmm. I've been and what I've done. And I managed to have a pretty good time every day. So mm -hmm. that's the best part, I suppose. So yeah. as, for as for having a philosophy, I don't have one. I just live as if I could be buried in three days. Well, that is a philosophy. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, thank you. I'll, I'll remember that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really like what you said. That's no, that you that you have no sense of future, and that you so you you, you kind of whatever rises up is uh, what you go toward. So you're always moving towards something, and um, maybe with not not a a great plan, but always moving toward. That's a really nice a nice notion. Um, well, thank you, Karen, for talking with us today, and um, we wish you well on your getting your, your wonderful work published, and we'll be sure to include um, the work that is available. We'll include that uh, when we release your episode so people can can take advantage of your reading your work. I thank you. It's on, it's on um, of course, it's on Amazon. Both books are shown on Amazon. So, and my name as an author is Karen S. Pursue, Karen S. Bennett. There are many Karen Bennett's abounding, and they mm -hmm. seem a good mm -hmm. share, a, a share, a good share of writing. <laughs> so I'm okay. Karen S. Bennett. Great. <laughs> well, ladies, it's thank you so know. much. You're very welcome. And listeners, please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review wherever you listen. Also, visit our website, womenover70.com where you can easily access all of our episodes and become a member in the Aging Reimagined Circle. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined.